the Lord. Well, Wednesday nights generally are different than Sunday mornings, and tonight, trust me, is not going to be any exception. Oh, praise you. But I feel that the Lord wants this brought forth in preparation for what lies ahead, to prepare us for the days that lie ahead of us. And so I'm, I'm going to start out with something that is just totally, I'm going to say this, it's unscriptural, but it's not bad, okay? It's, you aren't going to go in your Bible, where was he, in Hezekiah 3.2 or, you know, someplace? No, not, not there. My question or, or the, the, the statement I have put forth is up there on the screen. It's from a movie. And the line is, someone has taught you the sword. Someone has taught you the sword. It comes from the movie The Count of Monte Cristo. Now, I'm not going to tell you the whole story because there are twists and turns and all this kind of thing, you know, so I'm not going to go into all that great detail. But let's just say that the hero is betrayed by a close friend. Hmm and attempts to confront him, and a sword fight breaks out, only the hero has no skill. And he winds up losing his sword and ultimately goes to prison for several years. Eventually, through certain circumstances, he meets up with an old priest who's also a former soldier. The old priest educates the hero and even teaches him how to fence. Of course, there is ultimately a climax when the hero again confronts his betrayer, but this time the betrayer is disarmed and says to the hero, someone has taught you the sword. So, Father, tonight we open our hearts, we open our minds, to what you have to say. We, we want to hear your word from your throne and from your heart. So we thank you that we can have confidence that you will do that which you purpose. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would open them to Ephesians chapter 6, very familiar passage, Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. And we'll just kind of pick it up from there. I'm going to, there she goes. It's easier for me to read it there than it is here. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the, the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual wickedness or the forces of evil in the heavenlies. Maybe I will read it from here. <laughs> Therefore, take up, your, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, 
having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given to you by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Amen? Amen. You got real quiet. <laughs> there are some things, you know, we, you don't all get to come to prayer school. But uh, we have talked about some things in prayer school with regard to being awake and being vigilant and being on the alert because we're coming into a time when that's going to be very important. Not that it isn't important now. It is important now. The... Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. Ten had, or five had oil, five did not. But they were all asleep. Until the shout went up that the bridegroom cometh. And then they all woke up. The five that had the oil and were prepared, they were able to go right on in. To meet the bridegroom and go on into the wedding. The five that weren't prepared, well, they went out to try to buy oil. And I don't know how successful they were, but it didn't really matter because when they got back to the wedding, the doors were shut. And they couldn't get in. Being awake, being alert, being prepared is an important step in what God has coming down the road next. There needs to be a great awakening. Here in Freedom Word Church, of course. But the church of the larger church of Jesus Christ needs to wake up. I don't care what stripe or you know it happens. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the Living God, that He is the only begotten of the Father who is full of grace and truth. If you believe that, that's common ground. The rest is doctrine of one kind or another. But the fact of the matter is, whether you're a Baptist or whoever you are, the message is still the same. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up and be aware of what is going on. Put on your spiritual armor, and not just, pay, not just picking and choosing. Well, I only really like the, black, the breastplate of righteousness. No, it says put on the whole armor of God, and there's an order to putting it on. You might think that, well, they start off and they put the helmet on. No, 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 no. They start out with the belt, the girdle of truth. See, that's foundational. What is truth? That's what Pilate asked Jesus. 
and the truth was standing right before him because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So again, that's a foundational piece of the armor, having that on. Then it moves on and talks about, uh, where's my notes? I know we started there. Uh, you fasten that on, and then the breastplate of righteousness actually connects to that belt. They come together to form a particular unit, righteousness and truth. They go together anyway, if you really stop and think about it. Righteousness and truth, if you don't have truth, you're probably going to be unrighteous. But here, here it is that they are, they are connected together. And then you get to fasten on the shoes for your feet, putting on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Being able, and it's on your feet, so what are you going to do? You're going to go. You're going to go somewhere, even if it's to Kroger. Right? Amen or oh my? Even if you're just going out to get the mail, you're doing anything, you, your feet need to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ready and willing to give an answer to any man that asks you about the hope that lies within you. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, say all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish, oh, you might extinguish one or two now and then. Is that what it says? Extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Shield sounds like it's a defensive weapon. But it can, if, you ever watch any of those old movies? The knights are clashing in there. They use that shield to, I'll knock you out. You know, I mean, they use it for, for purposes other than just defending themselves. And then lastly it says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. What I felt that the, the Lord was pointing out to me in that particular verse is that the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit have a relationship. The helmet of salvation is protecting your mind so that you don't do um, Romans 12, 2. You don't conform to this world, but you're transformed by the renewing of your mind because you're protected from all the mess, to borrow from the pastor, that's out there in the world and, and screaming for your attention. So it has a role to play in protecting you from that kind of thing, but we're really here tonight to talk about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, we're all familiar with Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, for the Word of God is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. But I wanted to know, in this particular case, what does that word mean? 
for the Word of God is living and active. So I did a little bit of a study and found out that it is the word logos. It is the word logos, which means it's uttered by a living voice and embodies a concept or idea. So what he's trying to get across is that the word of God is, number one, it's alive, and then he's giving you examples of how it could work, ideally, as a two-edged sword, how it could work in piercing the division of the soul and the spirit, of the joints and the marrow, and the discerning of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. But it has to be used by the one who is wielding the sword. And the one who is wielding the sword needs to know how to wield it. I think we have seen over the centuries um, plenty of times when inexperienced sword wielders have gotten themselves into trouble. We don't like to talk about them, but hey, it's true. It takes some knowledge. It takes knowing the Word of God. It takes gaining wisdom and insight into the Word of God. And you don't get that by just grabbing it up, quoting a few scriptures, and running out and just going willy-nilly. This is word that is meant to be meditated on. What do you mean, Lord? What are you trying to tell me in all this? How it's you know, quick and powerful, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We don't have two-edged swords in this day and this hour as much as they, they used to be. And dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and the discerning of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, what is that all about? This is old first century language that's going on here. But what he's trying to give you an idea of is the sharpness of that sword is capable of circumcising the heart. It can cut bone, marrow, joints, and it can get down to the revealing of the thoughts and intents of your heart. Now, we know Jeremiah has said, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, there is someone who can know it. And when you get to know him, you'll get to know about this because he'll reveal it. Moving on. So Logos is the living voice expressing a concept or idea. Over in Matthew chapter 4, and this again will be very familiar to you, Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy, and the enemy is telling him, hey, you're really hungry, man. Why don't you just turn these stones into bread? That's the new Kevin Smith edition, by the way. Um, but Jesus answers him and says, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out from the mouth of God. Different word for what he says here. The word that he's using here is 
How many Rama people in here? One, two, okay. Yeah, it's Rama. Rama, an utterance by a living voice, a spoken thing, a word produced by voice and having definite meaning. Meaning God means what he says. So when Jesus is tempted here and he comes back at Satan, he, the word that he is using is not logos, but it's rhema. Logos was back in the beginning. John talks about it in, in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was... I'm trying to throw the Greek in the middle of it. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Every reference of word there is logos. And it makes sense if you stop to think about it, because what is, what is God doing at creation? He's putting forth an idea. He's declaring a concept. He's putting something into play, into action. And that logos is going forth. Now, we know that when you get back over into the Old Testament and you look about him breathing life into people, you move on over into the Old Testament where you ruach for the spirit in enabling and enlivening those that were created. So, I, the important part here that I really want you to take home with you is the, the verse that's tied back in Ephesians to the sword of the Spirit and the helmet of salvation also has a connection to the last verse in 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We want them all to wake up. We want them all to have an experience of a great awakening. And we also want them all to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to see, or at least I do anyway, I want to see the Holy Spirit move nationally at least one more time, a great outpouring of the Spirit across this country, stirring the hearts of people, drawing them back to the Father, getting away from their own selfish desires and their own selfish ambitions and their own selfish ways and coming to realize that they were bought with a price. They are not their own. They were bought with the precious blood of Jesus so that whosoever will may come. Because God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should, what? Come to repentance. Come to repentance and be saved. We need to pray earnestly. I hate to use the word desperately, but we do need to pray in a way that we are very seriously and laser-focused on the concept of the idea of God moving sovereignly by His Spirit in conjunction with His people, which has always been His plan, that He can work in and through His people to, to begin the process of preparing this world to receive its King. 
there has to be some preparation that's made. When, when the temple in Jerusalem or the tabernacle, whenever they became defiled, the presence was not there. It became defiled just before the exile, and Ezekiel sees the presence of God lifting from the temple and leaving. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, they no more and got that thing done and got everybody dressed the way they're supposed to be, their particular um, duties outlined and specified and so forth, they no more than had that done. It's just like Moses being on the mountain getting the law from God, and they're already down there building a golden calf. But even at this point, tabernacle's ready, the Lord's ready to move in, and Nadab and Abihu move out of their lane. They're not supposed to be the ones who go in there, especially not with an incense offering. And so right off the bat, that tabernacle gets defiled because they get killed. And you can't have dead bodies in the tabernacle. And so there had to be some great long purification process to get them out of there, to get them outside the camp, and then to purify the tabernacle so that the glory of the Lord, the glory cloud of the Lord, could descend over the Holy of Holies and take up his place there. That was the whole, you have to understand, that was the whole idea that God had in mind from Mount Sinai through the book of Exodus and with the book of Leviticus. Wonderful reading there. I know. But the idea was God wanted to dwell with men. God wanted to dwell with his people. But he's what? Holy. That's why he says be holy because I'm holy. It's not meant to say you need to follow a specific set of rules and regulations and things of that nature. But the sacrifices and the, thing, the dietary laws and the things that were put in place were designed to make them other. That's the real meaning of holy, other. God is other than we are. He's not like us. We're in his image, but he's other. Is there anybody like God? So he's other, and he wants us to become other. He wanted them to be other than all the Canaanite nations and all the nations that were around them. And the things that got laid out in Exodus and in Leviticus were designed so that if they followed those things, they would be other. And if they're other and he's other, then they can be together. That didn't happen very often or last very long. Somebody, something, always managed to mess it up. Usually, a line from another movie, human weakness. 
human weakness. Their flesh. He's trying, he's trying to make a way for them, even though their flesh, to have a relationship with him. Now, thank God that way back in Genesis 3.15, he prophesied that there would be one who would come who would crush the Satan's head and get his heel bruised in the process. Well, that's what Calvary was. But this time, this time, it's a different kind of human. It's a perfect human. A sinless human. Tested in all points like we are, but yet without sin. And so when those evil forces thought they had him licked, had him captured, had him dragged before the governments and authorities, a lot of the things we read here in Ephesians, had him brought before them, they scourged him, they did all kinds of horrible things to him, and eventually crucified him on a Roman cross. And that was the ultimate acceptable sacrifice. That was the atoning sacrifice. The Day of Atonement only occurred once a year. And its purpose was to atone for the sins of the whole nation. And so the sacrifice itself was a perfect goat and another perfect goat. And then casting lots they would choose one of the goats and it would be sacrificed for the sin of for the nation to atone for to make peace with god because of their sins and the second goat was released out into the wilderness to bear the sin of the people away from the camp outside of the camp and out into the wilderness and whose territory is the wilderness In the ESV, they also say, say, because of some Second Temple literature, they send him out to Azazel. A very evil spirit. And so that sin was carried away. The nation was at peace with God. They would offer their regular sacrifices for families, for whatever they had needed to do on that regard, but once a year at Yom Kippur, it was the Day of Atonement. And so Jesus Christ entered in to the Holy of Holies, the Heavenly Holy of Holies, the, the very design work that Moses saw upon the mountain. Jesus entered in there to, to put his blood on the articles in the Holy of Holies and in the tabernacle and to make it pure and to make it so that we, being sprinkled with his blood, being bought with his blood, we're not our own, we're bought with a price, we can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive help 
in a time of need. Does it feel like it's a time of need? Are you feeling like it's a time of need? You can't go on YouTube or anywhere else without being bombarded with facts and figures, facts and figures, expert witnesses, expert scientists, facts and figures, facts and figures. It's just amazing. And the number of new drugs they come up with. My goodness. I'll tell you a little secret. Those names make great passwords. Couple of, put a couple of them together. Ain't nobody going to know that. So this is why on September 17th, we're going to press on because you can't know the sword until you know what the sword is about. If you were given a new weapon, you'd get taught everything about the ins and outs of that weapon, what it was capable of, how to use it, how it's balanced, what, you know, all the things. They, the Romans were great at that. They had their shields down like, like they could be like a tank. And their, short, their swords were such that they could do close combat, combat very easily. So these sessions are to get you into the Word. When I was a teenager, I started reading the Bible from Genesis. Yes, I, you know, through Leviticus and all of that kind of thing. And I said to the Lord, why? Why? And you know what he said? Two-word answer. Not now. Because he needed me to get it in me to get at least a familiarity with it so that he could then begin to speak words that are rhema words, words that have a way of accomplishing his purpose and doing what he sets forth. There are words in there that are logos words that tell us what his plan is, what his ideas are, what he has in mind, his concepts, and the things that he's looking forward to do, looking to do in and through his people. And it's never too late to sharpen your biblical skills. And the path that we are taking is a very gentle path. The idea is to introduce you to high-level overviews of the scriptural books. In this case, it will be the, uh, well, the Hebrews call it, the, this will be the Nevi'im. These are the former prophets. So that's Joshua, Judges, uh, Samuel. I know Ruth is packed in there. That'll be just for a break. <laughs> just, to, just to break it up, show us, give us... God is really on this thing. And then uh, Samuel and Kings. Samuel and Kings in the original are not two separate books. They are one scroll. Samuel and Kings. And that will take us up to 
the galut, the exile. I heard that word and I said, that sounds like Bugs Bunny. You long-eared galoot. <laughs> but uh, that's, where, that's where we'll go. We'll be going through the, what is commonly called the former prophets and taking a look at what the Word of God has to say there. And I know that there are a lot of Christians that go, Oh, Joshua, judges, bloodshed. It's horrible. Well because you don't really know what's going on. And that's what we want to do is kind of take a, an overview look to say, yeah, this looks really bad, but it's because God is at work accomplishing his plan. Psalm 119.11, I bet a lot of you can quote it. In the ESV it says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you and the word here is referring to the Torah. Instruction uttered by the Lord. So he will teach us. He will lead us. He will guide us. And it doesn't make any difference what age it is. I have to share, I'll close with this. So y'all closers, this is your chance. <laughs> A couple of weeks ago, maybe a little bit longer, uh, Melanie and I met with my number three daughter to take our granddaughter, who was turning five, to basically get her out of the house because mom and dad wanted to do something special for her. So she was going to come have dinner with Aunt Mel and Grandpa, and they were going to do their surprise. So we went to Vinny's, and we're sitting in a booth, and she looks to her, she was where she would, it would be on her left, she looks to her left, and she sees all these bottles in a rack on the wall. And I said, those are the bottoms of the bottles. What's in them? Wine? What's wine? And Melanie said to her, it's... It's a, a drink that some older people, older adults drink. And then, this is where I got totally flabbergasted. She says, I know a story about wine and Jesus. And proceeded to fairly accurately recount the wedding feast at Cana. All the way to having all those jars filled all the way to the top with water and Jesus blessing them and they become wine and you know she has her own idea of who the head guy at the event is so she might not have called him the you know the chief steward or whatever it was but she says and he said this was the best wine Five years old, don't think they can't pull it in, take hold of it, understand it, and be able to tell you, I was like, huh. And then the thought came to me, someone has taught you 
the sword. God bless you.